Hello again, dear listener, and welcome to the latest episode of Beyond the Studio, the NYT podcast that is here to help you become the best artist you can be by becoming the best version of yourself. I am your host, Paul Nolan, and it is my pleasure every week to bring you these long-form conversations with some of the best and the brightest in the electronic music world and beyond. Today is a great conversation with someone who I spent a couple of hours with, getting to know a little better. We've known each other for a long time but in this game of electronic music it can be quite hard to spend some quality time with each other to have a great conversation and I always knew me and Josh Butler would be able to eventually sit down whether it be over a beer over a coffee or like we did over Skype and have a great conversation about everything life and the meaning of the universe and all that good stuff so this conversation is great because there's a lot that I didn't actually know about Josh and I didn't know that he actually had a background in New Zealand. I always knew him as this wicked producer from just up the road from me in Warrington in the UK and it turns out that he's had a New Zealand background which took him back over there because, well you would, wouldn't you, if you were living in a global pandemic as we are right now and New Zealand seems like one of the best places in the world to be so you would take yourself off and do that, wouldn't you? So I spoke to Josh about what it's been like, the culture shock between the UK and New Zealand from the perspective of the pandemic and also more generally what it's meant for him musically and a whole lot more. I actually discovered his love of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is something I absolutely love as well. So we go into that a little bit and a great conversation around lifestyle, around more mindful, more conscious touring. That's going to happen hopefully for a lot of artists going forward where people are going to look and try and balance themselves a little bit more when they're on the road. And we go really in depth into his personal story around his physical situation where he had a pretty bad back injury which he's managed to heal with a combination of Pilates and better lifestyle choices and stuff like that. So it's a really inspiring conversation. So without much further ado, here's my conversation with Josh Butler. Hope you enjoy it and see you on the other side. Mr. Josh Butler, how are you, sir? I'm very well, mate. Thanks for having me on. Mate, well, thank you for taking the time because I know there's a pretty large time difference between me and you. Was it 13 hours or something? Yeah, it is indeed. 13 hours. Crazy, crazy. So it's uh, Monday night here at the moment. Yes, yes. Very much Monday morning here in Liverpool, back back in the UK. So how are things in New Zealand then? Because like, I, I didn't know you'd basically done the bunk. So I'm really interested in like how all that came about because I basically hadn't heard from you for ages and then just saw you on Instagram absolutely blowing the back doors off a club somewhere in New Zealand and I was like, I've got to talk to him about this. This is too good to be true. Yeah. It's like... Well, it's um, it's a weird coincidence really because I went to school over here. My family decided to move here when I was a kid, basically. So I went to school in a very small town called Kerry Kerry in the North Island, top of the North Island. And then um, been lucky enough to come back here touring over the years. Um, my dad still lives here. Dad's been here for 15 years, maybe a bit more now. And um, obviously when the COVID thing happened, like I probably did about eight, eight months or something at home in Warrington. And then um, New Zealand was the first place to recover, coincidentally. So I was like, God, I've got the passport sat there. I'm going to go. <laughs> Booked a one-way flight and arrived here on the 3rd of December. 
Amazing, amazing. And you know what? Anyone in your position would do the exact same thing, you know, especially given the situation in the UK. You could kindly call it a bit of a shit show, do you know what I mean? So I imagine New Zealand is just the complete total opposite of what you've experienced back in the UK. Yeah, and I was living alone in the UK as well. So like the first three or four months when it was strict lockdown, it was pretty tough. You know, the only people I would see was the people at the checkout in the supermarket. <laughs> Started to a little bit loopy. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it was a good move for sure. And um, it's it's been like, it's been a bit unpredictable over here. I mean, it's not perfect because we still do go back into lockdowns. Even if there's one case in the country, we'll go back into a lockdown. <clears throat> so, um it can be a little bit unpredictable at times, but generally, it's a lot better. You know, we have windows of freedom. Mm. Mm. I imagine, I, I said it as soon as I saw that video, I was saying it to a load of my friends, like, New Zealand is now basically the rave capital of the world. Like, it's, it's just it's insane. Like, I, just that video on Instagram, I was like, oh, I remember those days. And then it was like, is he posting this from like six months ago or something or like over a year ago or something? And it was like, Maybe, no, it was I like mean, the night before. <laughs> playing that first gig back was the weirdest feeling. Uh, I mean, just going into it and being in a, in a room full of people was intense enough in itself, but the energy of the people, cause you know, obviously there, there was, a lockdown here as well mm. so this was one of the first big events back that they'd had they'd done a few uh, smaller ones but this was this was a this was a fucking good one it's called electric rush in queenstown mm-hmm. it's my first gig back and um it was wild mate it was um i had a lot of emotions going on i was obviously very excited to be back i was a bit anxious about being around so many people mm. um and it did take a bit of getting used to. No, but, I can imagine. Um, it's not 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 a night I'm going to forget in a long time. Yeah, I think you know, obviously, because we're on the supposed sort of build up here to that moment happening in June. Um, so there's a lot of excitement, and there's been a lot of events booked there. But um, you know, it's interesting you say that. You know, the, it, there's a real mix of emotions because you know, I think at the moment everybody's anticipating it here. And it's like, you know, get me in the club and I can't wait and stuff like that. And it's interesting you bring up that kind of like anxiety of it as well, because that's something I've definitely felt of like, I'm not sure like how I'm going to dip my toe back into it because I've just become so like being in isolation has just become so normalized to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. It's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, it's obviously not natural for humans to be cooped up like that um but i I don't think it's going to take long for people to adjust back into it Mm. it probably probably will be very very weird going you know the first few raves but um yeah it's 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 easy to to get back into it and it this sounds so this sounds so bad in a way but it's it feels very normal over here at the moment Mm -hmm. you know when things are things are going you kind of forget what's going on till you watch the news and it's like, oh shit, we're, we're so lucky over here. Mm. Mm. No, and, and again, like it's 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 not to, like I've always said this to people like, you know, who have who've still been fortunate to play the odd gig 
around the world, you know, when things have been safe and they've been legally been able to do so, you know, there's obviously there's been a lot of hand wringing online and a lot of like you know criticism and stuff and it's like well you know if if anybody in in the position the same position as you or any of these other artists if they were you know able to do what they love to do safely even during a pandemic i would argue it's probably even more important to do it now than ever before it keeps that keeps the scene going and um I think you, you mentioned, mentioned social media. Mm. For me, posting some videos online, I've had to be very careful or I've wanted to be very careful about what I'm posting and how I'm presenting it because I feel like it could come across completely the wrong way. I mean, you know the way social media is these days. People are very sensitive. And, um, yeah, I've had to be quite careful about how I present these videos, I think, because I'm not posting too much about clubbing and stuff because um, obviously a lot of my followers are still in the UK, Europe and America. Um, but yeah, it's it's good that there's now an end in sight and my hope for posting those kind of videos was to give people uh, some positive vibes and um, mm-hmm. light at the end of the tunnel, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, it definitely did for me. It definitely did for me because, you know, realising just how kind of, you know, you'd posted it within 24 hours of the gig. It, it really was, like, for me, the first sign of, like, okay, we're turning a corner here. All right, maybe not in this country just yet, but clearly things are starting to trend a little bit more in the right direction because we're allowed to start doing things like this again, you know. So, no, well, I definitely like... took it that way, man. And, you know, I don't think anything, I think you've handled, you know, your social media really beautifully in terms of, like, the balance of, like, life in New Zealand as it is now. And, you know, every time you post something, I see you in the studio with someone or I see you playing you playing a gig. I'm just, I'm just really happy for you. That's the nice thing. Like, right. overwhelmingly, I'm just absolutely made up that you've been able to get that opportunity to do it, you know? Yeah. And it's it's a... It's a weird one here because the, the house and techno scene is quite small. Mm. In fact, it's very small compared to most places in the world. Drum and bass is like king over here. I'd say drum and bass is bigger here than it is in the UK. So there's wow. like, at the moment, Andy C and Tom Piper are touring New Zealand. Nets guys here as well. There's a, there's a load of drum and bass guys coming over. Um, so for me, I find it quite exciting to be able to help that house and techno scene grow a bit more because mm. it's very very underground it's almost a little bit hippie over here as well there's a lot of um i played a festival on friday called Earthbeat, which was very much like dreadlocks and bare feet and uh crystals and all that you know <laughs> Look, it sounds like it sounds like my type of gig to be honest it was it was it was really cool it made a nice change i think um I think there's a lot of potential for it to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And and weirdly, that can be one of the positives that come out of this is that, you know, it will put the focus on on scenes like this. And, you know, New Zealand's sh- you know, properly showing its its worth and its value to the world at the moment. So it's going to be really exciting to see what happens over there because, I mean, I, I never made it as far as New Zealand, but I got a similar sense even pre-pandemic from, like, I toured in, in Australia in 2018 and just was blown away by, yeah, the scene's obviously bigger there than in New Zealand, and they have bigger names come over, but it's still such a kind of a local, really friendly, 
really quite underground scene, if you know what I mean. And yeah. you know, with my sound as well, because Aussie, as you know, Aussies love a bit of prog, like. They're all they're, yeah. all, they're all, they're all, they're all up for a bit of hair and all that, you know what I mean? So, and again, I find in Australia it's still got that hippie edge because mm. I'm sure you know they do bush duffs. Yeah, they just go out into the bush and have uh, have raves basically. Yeah, and it's all like kind of Burning Man vibes, you know. It's um, it's a different it's a different crowd to in Europe, I think. Yeah, totally, totally. And yeah, Rainbow Serpent is definitely one of those festivals I want to get to. Like, cause it's everyone who I know who has played that has just raved about it and said it's basically, like you say, it's like an Australian Burning Man, basically. So, yeah, I have not been myself, but I've heard nothing but good things. Mm-hmm. No, it's great. So, how did you find, like, how did you, you know, obviously mentioned you were living at home alone back in Warrington? I mean, what a place to be home alone in as well, like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> with, with all due respect, like, um, yeah, like how, how did you find, like, did, how did you find your productivity in the studio? Because, like, I'll be honest with you, I found mine just completely dried up. Like, I just, I've been kind of pretty low on inspiration for quite some time, and it's really made me realise it's the energy of moving around and seeing different places and meeting different people and being exposed to different ideas that that has that really gets my juices flowing so that's been a bit of a tough one for me i mean how have you found it i i was exactly the same um the first two or three weeks i'd say were, were the most productive because i so basically my studio used to be in a unit in town so i'd travel 10 15 minutes in the car every day to get to the studio and when I heard that the lockdown was coming and it was like really serious and I thought there's no way I'm gonna get away with traveling so I've moved all my studio back home put it in the spare room and I've always found moving to a different room is quite creative quite inspiring for me makes me quite creative so the first few weeks of being in that new space I really enjoyed but when when I got used to the room and then, you know, the novelty kind of wears off and you're just in the house every day, you know, like you said, the creativity slowly dries up because I think as traveling DJs, we get inspired from the energy of people and seeing reactions to certain facts. For me, anyway, that was a massive one. Coming back on a Sunday or Monday, after a mega weekend of gigs, I'd just be so fired up to make tunes. Yeah, yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. And I'm, I'm the same. I'm totally the same. And it's, it's been really interesting. Like the sort of because the shift that I made was well, you know, if I'm not really feeling making music, what I can do is I can really help people in line of what we do here at NYT and like we really just concentrated over the year of just building I kind of think I built the thing that I needed like I built a community around the brand so amazing it's not exactly been like I've been completely alone it's like I've had this amazing community of people that have all come together and you know we've really helped each other through the sort of the last year so my focus has mostly been on like education and making courses and stuff like that so it's been a bit of a shift mentally for me because i've had to realize that i can be creative in different ways rather than just constantly knocking out tunes 
and you know having different yes. projects and different ways of looking at things do you know what i mean sure yeah so well you know once my creativity had dried up i started to speak to other people other producer friends hmm. and started doing a few collaborations two minds are better than one aren't they so um i did manage to get a few tracks made but they were mostly collaborations i did a few with dennis cruz Wicked. um yeah quite a lot with um some singers as well started this this new thing called denton which was more geared around um songs i suppose like that that's still dance music but songs and collaborations with singers where they would have complete creative control to do their thing um so so again i think that was a shift in my creativity i'm st still making music but um it was in a different way whereas usually i would just be on my own you know feeding off that energy from the weekend like i mentioned um yeah shifted it to more um household music i suppose mm. <laughs> yeah well there's not much point making bangers for dance floors that are currently empty do you know what i mean yeah <laughs> like it's funny because like you say it's exactly the same for like i've spoken to a lot of artists as well and like not everyone's the same like some people have just really plowed on and just like you know i've i've heard some music that people have been making in the last year that they're holding on to and it's like jesus christ you've got weapons grade bangers here for a year Amazing. but you know a lot of other people are like exactly what you were saying it's like once it hit and especially for you know people like yourself who tour quite a lot you don't realize how much you're running on the adrenaline of touring and, you know, I saw a lot of, like, you know, memes. You probably saw them at the beginning of lockdown. It was like, oh, well, music producers spend 99.9% of the time on their own anyway, so they're going to be fine. In fact, this is what we trained for, you know? And there's like, well, come back to me in two or three weeks and say that, you know? And lo, lo and behold, like, everybody about a month in was, like, sort of texting me going, I've just hit the wall here. Like, I've just got nothing to do. I've got nothing to say as well you know you've got no experiences to really sort of like feed into the studio well, you know? i think our brains thrive on on input don't they and you have to cultivate what you're putting in there you know you have to feed it the right things for, for it to process mm. and if there's not going on then um it's you're not stimulated enough no exactly exactly and and again like i suppose with with the move i mean did that have a positive impact on productivity and inspiration and stuff like that once you'd moved over and started getting into a, a new environment yeah a little bit yeah um i've not been as, as productive as i used to be but um i am making music again definitely um making some more like I don't want to say it's proggy, but it's it's definitely a little bit more techno-y mm -hmm. than I used to. Um, so I've been speaking to Nicole Moodaba. She wants some tracks for her label Mood. Um, so so I've written some pretty cool stuff for her. Um, I guess it's kind of it's inspired by the, the New Zealand scene a little bit more as well, you know, because it's quite proggy over here. Mm -hmm. It's um, or progressive, yeah. It's, it's I don't know. It's not as um, as tech housey. Let's say mm. that. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely noticed that because I, I did even notice from like the videos you've been posting up. It's like some of the tracks that you were saying you were playing. I was like, 
oh, he's playing a Patrice Baumel track. That's not quite... I wouldn't expect Josh to play stuff like Pat, yeah. you know what I mean? I've been loving is, his stuff recently. Oh, mate. I mean, and he's he's such a... He's a massive part of NYT as well. Like, he's been absolutely amazing with us. Like, we, yeah, he did, um, he did a track feedback session for us last November, I think it was, and it went on for, like, four and a half hours. And nice he one. literally listened to every beat of every track and honest to God, the feedback he gave was so thoughtful, so on point, so constructive, and so positive. It was uh, it was amazing. So like we uh, we've we've got plans in place, me and Pat, to be doing a lot of stuff together, like on the educational side of things. So yeah, watch this space, mate. It's going to be very exciting because he's really passionate about that. And you know, as a lot of people know, there's like a kind of an ongoing bromance going on between me and him uh, over the last <laughs> few years. So it gets a bit what of you, you are. <laughs> I said, "What a duo!" I know, mate. Tell me about it. Like, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a gruesome twosome to say the least. Like, so you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's good, man. Because like we've gotten really, we've become good friends, and you know, we we see eye to eye on 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 a lot of things, like in terms of creativity and and everything from like you know blockchain and Bitcoin and stuff to all the way through to music and stuff. So you know, with him being the guy that he is and he's just got such a great perspective on things like there's some really exciting stuff we're going to be bringing to the table so i look forward to seeing more indeed mate indeed and of course like you know you've been doing like you've been doing courses for years right with fader pro and stuff as well and yeah yeah done a couple of things with fader pro now working with Shadow Child on his project one for the nerds yes yes simon was our first ever like sort of big artist who come and did a, a talk for us at NYT. So I've got all the time for Simon. He invited me down to his house and fed me and what? we did like a two hour live stream. It was wicked. I bet it was. I mean he's um I think he's the perfect kind of person to be doing that as well. You know, teaching he breaks things down in such an easy way to digest. Um I think people are gonna get a lot out of this this project that he started. Yeah, I love it. I love it because it's you know it's a very different model to what we offer here at NYT, which you guys are going more sort of one to one basically, whereas we're more sort of community based, which right. is quite cool. So it's a nice that it's a really lovely dovetail of like you know between what we do and what one for the nerds do and stuff. And and again, like you know, I can't Simon a friend. I know Dave Robertson really well over the years. So again, yeah. I was really chuffed when I saw that you were joining because again, I think it's a great fit for you as well. Totally. I mean, it's a good team. He's got Cynthia Huxley, um, Reset Robot. We're doing um, a Q&A on Tuesday, actually, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Doing a Q&A with New Tone, which would be quite cool, because I, I want to ask him a few questions about DMB. <laughs> <laughs> well, now being in New Zealand, like you know what I mean? You've got to get with the programme, haven't you? Yeah, well, to be fair, I've always been well into my drum and bass. Mm. It's not something I produce that much of, but I've experimented here and there. Yeah. Well, I used to go to a lot of drum and bass parties back in the day. Oh yeah, same, same, same. Because another another big mate of mine was uh, is Future Bound. You know Brandon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Me and Brandon go back a long way. I used to make him coffee in a record shop in Liverpool in like 1995. No way. Yeah, I know. I don't. I don't look that old, but I actually am that old, mate. <laughs> um, so it's just dead funny, like the way things kind of happen. Because like I, I, I did like my GCSE work experience at Unity Records. It was on Bold Street in '95, and Brendan used to buy all the drum and bass in there. And then eight years later, I had my own record shop, and then he ended up working for me 
buying the drum and bass and stuff like that and then he just blew up and he's become a total pop star like so yeah that name's huge now. Oh, mate, like what Future Band and Matrix have done is just absolutely mind bending. And, uh, you know, with going out with him and you know, having a few nights out with him, like just some quality drum and bass nights, absolutely insane. Like, so I went through a whole period of almost exclusively going to drum and bass parties because it was just nice to have a contrast from just constant prog. Yeah. I mean, same for a good few years, I'd say a lot of my musical diet was drum and bass because it was mostly what my mates were into. Mm-hmm. So I'd be, always be, be at Chibuku in Liverpool for the dubstep uh, revolution as well. That was a yeah. big part of it. And there was a place in Manchester called the Music Box. Spent That's a lot right, of time yeah. there. Yeah, amazing. I mean, um, yeah, amazing. So like, what kind of drum and bass were you, were you mostly into? Were you into like the sort of the uh, the face melting stuff, or were you more of a liquid guy? Uh, not, like... not as much. When I was a bit younger, when I was 18, 19, I could definitely do a night on that. But uh, <laughs> I was always more into to jungle, to be honest. Mm. Liquid and jungle. LTJ Buckham for me is, oh, is the key. You know, uh, jazzy. Yeah sexy soulful stuff oh mate yeah i mean like i didn't get properly exposed to it. i didn't really understand it but i caught him in passing one night and I'll tell you how far back this is going it was at the courtyard at cream but the courtyard didn't have a roof on it at the time yeah and you and, saw uh, book him in Buckham used to play there quite regularly, and um, I, I I enjoyed it, but I, it was so early in my musical journey, it was right at the beginning, I had no idea what I was taking in, and then years later, he played Shibuku with uh, Makoto, and he did the full logical progression thing, they had MC Conrad on there and stuff, and it was just, it was an, it was an education. Yeah, with Conrad in the mix, damn. <laughs> oh mate, so so good as well. Like, and um, I, I got to, I got to actually like, I got to see Andy C a few times, like directly in the booth as well. Because um, one of his favourite MCs is Too Shy, who is actually a really, really good mate of mine. Believe it or not, um, he's um, he's really, he's really good mates with my now ex-wife. And uh, okay. it's it's just he, he's just uh, a, a phenomenal MC, and just to see Andy first hand what he does like you know within like almost touching distance it's just you've I mean, never he, seen he, anything like it he's one of the best djs across the board in electronic music in my opinion oh absolutely he's, he's like fighting for number one spot actually I'm, I'm i'm gonna go and see him on friday he's playing in auckland wicked so i've got quite friendly with ton over the years ton piper mm-hmm. through through the drum and bass scene in manchester and through warehouse project and stuff so, um, yeah, those boys are touring at the moment. So going to go and catch up with them on Friday. Can't like wait, a, man. Not like Andy to be on tour, is it? <laughs> honestly, He's honestly. Machine. Honestly, I remember he turned up at Shibuku one night and he had two drivers because basically one would get tired and one could sleep in the back of the car while the other one took over. Oh. And, and and I think I think Gary was saying to me too shy that night. He was saying they were playing four gigs that night. Because, you know, oh. drum bass DJs, they only play an hour. Yeah. So basically it's like, right, rack it up. And I think they were doing like Grimsby, was it something like Grimsby, Leicester, Liverpool and London in the same night. Mint. Fucking fair with- play to him. Mate, I mean, hardest working guy in the game, as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah, totally yeah. up there. No, totally, yeah. Which, uh, you know, it makes you wonder how he like sustains that kind of lifestyle. 
Yeah, well, he, I think he's got kids as well, you know. So he, he flew over here. He did two weeks in isolation, which is a, is a managed isolation. Basically, the the army run the hotels, um, so it's very strict. You know, you can't leave your room really, apart from mm. to go for a twenty minute walk a day. Um, so he did two weeks there, and then he's doing two weeks on the road all around the country and flying back to his family. Crazy, Often it crazy. Crazy. I mean, obviously, we, we live for those days to sort of return. But, you know, I did get a sense. Like, I remember, I mean, I spent a long time. I spent a good, like, sort of six weeks in Ibiza in the last full season before last year. And I just remember, like, so many of my friends were coming in and out of the island. And, you know, I was getting to see so many of them. And it was great in one sense. But you could just see how tired everyone was. And it yeah. was like, okay, like, is this going to get to a point where, is this going to become like unsustainable where the pressure of like constant gigging, constant touring, you know, being in like three continents in one week, like how long can you keep that up for before you inevitably kind of burn out? You know what I mean? It's a good question. And um, I honestly, th honestly think if it wasn't for 2020 and COVID, I don't know how long I would have been on that wheel before recognizing that. Mm. Because uh, I have definitely realised now that it, that it's, it is unsustainable the way I was living, um, and I'm probably not going to tour the way I used to again because it was it was an unhealthy way of life to be quite honest. Mm. Mm. A lot of artists are saying the same thing that you know it's given them time to kind of reflect and make them realise just like how how out of balance they were. And, yeah. you know, I, I mean, obviously, like, I'm not anywhere near as, like, regulatory as, as you are or some of the guests we have on the podcast. But, you know, I've done my fair share over the years. And, you know, I recognized it, like, off the back of working with Sasha on his last album, Scene Delete. Um, great to see that he's got a new album coming out so shortly. Um, I, I mean, I just had a massive uplift in touring and I just, I just burnt out. I just completely right. burnt out from it. And... You know, it was like doing having to do daft things like, you know, having to fly all the way to Bali from L.A. to play one gig to turn around and fly all the way back. You know, just because of the way that, that you know, it all kind of worked out and just really, really brutal. So, you know, I made the decision that if I was going to continue touring, um, which I'm kind of on the fence about now, to be honest, like I'm kind of quite happy doing what I'm doing. Um, yeah. you know, as I say, I mentioned that Australia tour, I did a couple of gigs in Bali beforehand and I made sure I had like, you know, I was away for like six weeks, but I played like six gigs in that time. So I had plenty of time to adjust, plenty of time to decompress, plenty of time to kind of get to know a place. Cause I'm sure that's frustrating for, for yourself. Like, you know, getting to a place oh, that wouldn't mate, mind exploring and you can't go and see it. Cause it's just like hotel room, airport club. You know what I mean? Almost one of the, the biggest regrets of my, of my touring life was um, not actually seeing any of these places. And don't get me wrong, I did spend a bit of time in some of them. Like I got to travel to Ethiopia a couple of years ago. Wow. So I spent a week there, you know, quite unusual places. Same in Guatemala, I'd spent, spent a few days there. But places like um, Medellin in Colombia, I was there for less than 12 hours, mm. which I would love to go back and explore a little bit more. So one of the craziest routes I ever did, uh, this you know I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how I did this looking back because it's so intense. But I did um, Paradise DC10 on the Wednesday in Ibiza, mm. 
flew from there. I didn't sleep, by the way. <laughs> Stayed up all night, went straight to the airport, flew flew to Medellin the next day, played there on Thursday, then flew to Quito in Ecuador on Friday, and I played for eight hours that night. And then um, a couple of hours sleep there, then fl- flew to... Um, Flew to Waikil, so you fly to Waikil, then you drive to uh, you drive four hours from Waikil to Montanita, where the Lost Beach Club is, right. which is one of the best clubs in the world. Um, so it was a great final destination, but by what the fourth gig, and then playing again for nearly ten hours that night at the Lost Beach because the promoter basically says you play for three hours on the main dance floor, and then you go into this cave. And he he has these big doors, big soundproof doors, shuts shuts everybody in, and he says you can play for as long as you want, just gives you free reign, so you you can easily get quite lost in that room, and when you're sleep deprived, and um, partying, and you know, it, it gets wild, mate. And uh, but the day after that, I was just completely dead. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Sunday, after travelling halfway around the world and not sleeping. It's um, it's a weird feeling. No, it definitely is. It definitely is. I mean, I felt exactly the same way after that whole sort of barley run because I just like I just completely collapsed after that point, and you know I'd been just burning it just so hard for so long, and it was just so like like we said, it was just it comes to a point where I couldn't even. Like, I, I literally left LA for a while. I went back, I came back here and, like, basically, you know, stayed with my mum and dad for a couple of weeks because it was just like, I need to get my head together. Like, I need to kind of get a bit of space and be able to kind of totally reset. So, I mean, I, I literally, I'm listening to what you're saying and it's not a patch on what I went through. And, you know, as, as in, you know, what, what I went through was not a patch on what you went through. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. crazy to. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering how you're still breathing now, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's good that you can recognise that burnout before it really hit you hard, though. You know, you took some time out to decompress was the key word that you said, I think. That is um, so essential. Because, um, you know, like for me, I never really got into music to DJ and to being... To, well. Maybe that's not quite right, but to be in clubs, I never got into it to be a touring DJ and to be on stage and stuff. Mm. Got into it just because I liked making tunes. <laughs> and, uh, I liked mixing tunes in my bedroom. And then one thing led to another. And then you find yourself doing these mad schedules. So it is so essential for people who have spent most of their careers on their own in a studio or in the bedroom making music to take that time to decompress because mm. I'm not the most extroverted guy in the world. I need that time to to process everything, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're quite, you're quite an introspective guy, like, and quite, as you say, you're quite quiet, so, you know, I, I appreciate you coming on, on the show in general, to be honest. Yeah, of course. No, I don't mind talking to, to people, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> you're not that introverted. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough, fair enough, and it's it's so funny because like you know you think about you know a lot of the artists who have, have had problems, and you think of people who like unfortunately lost, like say Avicii for example. You know he he said exactly the same as what what you've just said, which is like you know I never got on, into this to be on stage. I got into this to actually like make the music, but the way the 
the industry model and it's quite interesting because you know we've been doing a lot of talking about this i've just talked to uh the eu rep for uh, Bandcamp uh in the last week and they've just had such a storm in year business wise and you know with the Bandcamp fridays and everything else and i think what again another one of the positives of the pandemic is that it's really put a, a focus on like revenue streams and the ability for artists who necessarily at the moment can't tour but maybe in future don't want to tour as excessively as you're talking about how can they still make a a reasonable living out of this whole thing so you know obviously i think we 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 perform those tours because it's the main way that we make money so it's interesting that we're kind of looking at that now we're looking at how we can kind of do more sustainable revenue models for artists going forward because that might actually be a net positive on mental health as well yeah i mean bandcamp's been amazing for for musicians over the last year or so um i've heard audio jack were actually saying they're going to only release on bandcamp from now on yeah i think they're going to try and avoid streaming platforms and beatport and stuff mm and um, fair play to them. I think more people, and, and obviously DJ Sneak had a big thing about all this as well, didn't he? Mm-hmm. I think it might become a lot more, a lot more prevalent in the industry. Not like Carlos to be controversial, is it? We don't, we don't have to. We don't have to. We don't have to. Especially after his last appearance in Liverpool, it wasn't too. It didn't go exactly. too well for him. Bless him. Bless him. <laughs> Bless him. I love Carlos. I, I, I really, I, every time I spend time with him, I love them to bit. But, um, but yeah, totally. And, and there's a lot of there's a lot of artists who I know who are now pretty much paying their rent just off Bandcamp because really? they've been quite Amazing. clever. Some like some artists have been quite clever and they've been fortunate enough to have like really good advice and really good management, especially around the contracts that they sign because they've managed to kind of like maintain control of their master rights. So after a certain amount of time, they've been able to claim them all back and they've been able to sell them directly to their fan base on Bandcamp. So I just think it's going to be an essential thing going forward because like, I mean, mean, I'm sure you've done your fair amount of digging on Bandcamp. But one of the things I love about it is that it's as near as, like I feel like I'm walking into a record shop and I log into Bandcamp. It's as close as it's going to get, really, isn't it? It's yeah. easy to discover new artists as well. Like I, I find you can spend a lot longer on Beatport trying to find good tracks, but there's just so much shit in there as well. Mm. Um, Bandcamp, I find the quality is generally a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. The, the music's a little bit cooler and a bit quirkier. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it also attracts a certain type of person, like the crate digger. You know, the yeah. person who's willing to kind of put the uh, put the hard yards in. And, you know, I love some of the stuff like, you know, Ali from Bandcamp was saying. So it was about like, you know, 40% of the time, because, you know, they have this like minimum pricing thing. So you could like sell something for a pound. So 40% yeah. of the time people pay more than what people really? are asking. And That's it's insane. Like literally like, you know, he, he remembers like, because Ali's got his own label. And he said he remembers like the first time it happened and like somebody paid, like he, he was charging like a tenner for an album or something and someone char- like paid him like 50 quid. <laughs> and like so he, he was like emailing the guy going, hey, did you like put a zero in wrong there or something? And the guy's like, no, no, that's genuinely what I think it's worth. Like, 
that's class. Such a good feature to have in it. Oh, amazing. And the fact you get paid within 24 hours as well, you know, where you're not waiting for... Wait, straight into a PayPal account? Straight into PayPal, yeah. Yeah, you know, not, not having to, like, you know, wait for months and months and months for like accounting to be done and publishing and all that stuff you know and unfortunately a lot of the time some labels will never send statements you know Mm. i've heard so many producers say they've never received a statement in in fucking 10 years sometimes Mm. (laughs) someone was saying it to me the other day um so yeah it's um it's it's definitely a new model that could be part of the future for this industry Oh, totally, yeah. And, you know, without sort of turning it into a blockchain geek fest, um, you know, th- there's th- the music publishing game, I think, is really ripe for being completely disrupted in this way yeah. because, you know, if you've got really solid underlying technology that can understand who bought what and when and who played what, where and when, then that can only be a good thing for artists because we're going to get much more accurate and also, like, undisputable, you know, accounting, that's only going to lead to a fairer shake for artists, really. So there's a huge opportunity there, for sure. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed, indeed, mate. So, you know, obviously you've got your own label, you've got Origins. I mean, you've been you've been putting tracks out, right, in the last year, still been keeping quite a regular yeah. release schedule. Yeah, at first uh, I did shift the schedule around to suit the time a little bit so the first record we put out during the lockdown was from pm mm-hmm. um, from barcelona called 19 uh featuring a dutch singer called anna so it's really it's kind of poppy actually it's probably the, the the most commercial thing we've released um but it did really well and it's, it's since been licensed to defected it's going to be re-released on defected later this year nice um so yeah the first couple of months we sort of adjusted the music policy to suit people being at home but as it went on and the, obviously that it just you know there was no sort of end in sight i just thought sod it we're just going to keep putting bangers out <laughs> we've got all the they've got all this schedule planned we had wicked track from second city mm-hmm. so um yeah he was one of the first like club tracks we put out that wasn't actually ever really played in a club but it's, yeah. it's, it's done well, I think. Um, it served us pretty well because at the end of the day, people still love house music. And um, even if they're dancing around the kitchen, you know. <laughs> it all counts, <laughs> doesn't it? It all counts. It does. And I imagine, like, because you know, what we found when the lockdown first happened, a lot of people signed up who, for us, for, for our subscription, who were complete beginners and were like, I've never had the chance or the time or the opportunity to actually indulge in this as a passion. But now it looks like I'm going to be spending four months at home. I need a new hobby. So yeah. here I am. So, you know, it's funny because, like, you know, I believe Beatport had a great year last year on sales, did really, really well. So a lot of that, I would imagine, are coming from, you know, new people who are maybe, like, indulging in their passion for dance music and maybe learning how to DJ for the first time. Or, you know, it, it was essentially the same for us. I think there's been a lot of, like, new interest in that regard so i'm not surprised that the tracks are still doing well because you know even though the clubs aren't open people are still going to listen to music no matter where they are of course you know i think you've nailed it there it's it's almost a completely new market isn't it people um who have been out clubbing Mm. and see the djs and want to do it but they 
usually have to go back to work in the week and just don't have time. Um, but since everybody was on furlough, yeah, what, what better time to buy a little MIDI controller and mm-hmm. and just get a taste for it, you know? It's mm-hmm. so accessible these days. Mm-hmm. No, it is, absolutely. I mean, we we very deliberately, just at the start of lockdown, we ran like an eight-week getting started in Ableton course, and it was just wildly popular. It was just like so busy with like full of people who were literally like we were just saying, I've never done this before, always wanted to. This is like a perfect introduction, a perfect kind of primer into like, you know, into production. And we had people like, you know, finishing tracks in like eight weeks. Amazing. So, yeah, to- yeah, it's, it's really great. So just sort of shifting back towards lifestyle, bef- like we were talking before, um, you were saying about maybe looking at things in a bit more of a balanced way going forward. I mean, how's that How's that going to look like for you? And, and what uh, obviously the, the burnout's been a big driver of it, but, you know, has there been any sort of other sort of key drivers of how you're going to, you know, tour going forward? Yeah, I think um, actually be- being over here, and reconnecting with New Zealand has, has been a big part of it. Mm. I'm probably going to spend a lot more time on this side um, and probably just travel to Europe once a year. Um, do, do one big tour a year, probably like a band would. Um, because it's a lot healthier. It's a lot, yeah, it's a healthier way of life over here. I'm barely drinking anymore. I don't get on it. Um, doing a lot more exercise again. But as, as I've mentioned to you off air, um, I had a back injury at the end of last year, mm. probably like September, October last year, and it put me out of action for a long time. I've only just started to recover properly now. I couldn't walk at some point. It wow. was rough. Yeah, man. Turned out, um, I had an MRI scan, it turned out to be um, L5S1 slipped disc. And, um, yeah, so a a couple of years ago, I started getting sciatica in my left leg. Didn't think much of it, and it eventually went away. And then um, I got really into Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a few years. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah, and um, I just – so the sciatica ended up coming back, and I kept going to the gym and just trying Mm. to train through it and just thinking, oh, it'll go away, it's nothing – yeah, and it, but obviously it turned out to be this bulging disc and, you know, getting thrown around. It's just not helped it. And uh, I made made the situation a lot worse. But um, since speaking to professionals, osteopaths and physios and stuff, I think it's a combination of, um, well, it's basically like lifestyle choices that have led to that disc being you know, fucked, for lack of a better term. Um, Partying too much, not sleeping, Mm. being run down, bad diet. Um, Sleeping in weird positions on planes as Mm. well. You know, I'll always be like this against the window. So bad posture. Combination of all this stuff has, um, you know, just built up the pressure in my back and then all of a sudden it just popped and um i do i do think that's down to an unhealthy lifestyle over the last like nearly 10 years of, mm. of traveling now yeah totally. so yeah it's i it's... think slowing that down and and um 
exercising more, eating well, strengthening my back. It's, um, yeah, it's going to be a, bit, a lot more balanced going forward for me. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it has to be, doesn't it? Because it shows you just how fragile we are. And, you know, it can happen to the, it can happen to anyone and it can happen to the best of us, you know, as, as in your case. I mean, I'm like, just starting to feel the mild effects of sciatica because I've basically just been sat in this chair for a year. Yeah. You know, and, uh, <clears throat> and that I'm someone. That's it. It's sedative lifestyle that, that does it a lot of the time. Mm. No, it is. It is. And it's like, it's this forced sedentary lifestyle. Cause like I'm extremely active. Like I do jujitsu as well. Or yeah. did, did do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did do before yeah. the lockdown. It was something that was becoming like, you know, you have that moment where you sort of dip your toe in the water for the first time and then be- it becomes an obsession. Like I was at the point where it's, it, be- does, it was, you know, whereas it's easy to slip into other addictions when you're surrounded by all sorts in nightclubs and stuff. Hmm. I found it was a way for me to say no to that stuff and have a reason to try and stay fit. Hmm. Because if I went to class on Monday, I'm just going to get battered. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a reason to to not party as much and um, try and be switched on for for class next week. Hmm. No, totally. Yeah, I I agree with you. And it it was the same for me as well. But yeah, it is, it is hard on the body though. It has to be said like, jiu-jitsu is so hard on the body and if you're not looking after your body in other ways like i really i'm super grateful for having like a a really long-term really committed yoga practice like i've been going i've been like now nearly eight years in terms of in terms of yoga and i actually qualified as a a yoga teacher last year i actually did like one one of the nicer things about lockdown was i managed to do like an online teacher training um which was really good we've actually got five hours of like yoga classes on on the myt platform now so you know we we try and look at it from like you know loads of different angles but even even with that it's like i'm still suffering even now and it's just this isolation and uh you know you're just kind of doing the same loops around the house all day every day do you know what i mean so it's it's quite tough so what 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 have been like the the strategies i know you mentioned you're working with like osteopaths and physios and stuff like what's been the main sort of protocols you've been doing to kind of aid your recovery um at first i want to give a shout out to somebody kirsty in fact two people erin um she's a scouser and also kirsty from the warehouse project who um she runs pilates classes Wicked. she she helped me so much she sent me like a plan basically of how to get started from barely being able to move to then strengthening. So, um, I don't know if you're familiar with a guy called McKenzie. I think his name is Robert McKenzie, but basically he developed a, a load of stretches for, um, specifically for slipped discs in the lower back. Oh, wow. So it's, it's like repose, in yoga mm-hmm. like a half press up kind of pose yeah so that was like i was spending a lot of time in that position like i'd be watching tv in that position i'd be doing my emails there and half my day was spent lying on the floor in a half press up position just to try and to push that disc back in a bit mm-hmm. 
and eventually once that slowly um you know reduces in size you can start to move a bit more because it's not it's not pushing against the nerve that was the, the the main thing that was causing all the trouble the disc was bulging touch it trapping the nerve essentially so um once you've got a bit more mobility you've just got to make the most of it and um try and move it as much as possible sitting down is only going to make it worse so i was doing a lot of walking and um yeah pilates the really light exercise you know mm. and still doing it you know it's, it's easy to get complacent some yeah. days when when it's not hurting it's like oh, i just oh, forget it do it next week <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, you have to consistent with that kind of stuff because core strength and back strength is very important i know i'm sure you know a lot of djs and producers suffer with back injuries it's a common problem in our industry Mm -hmm. from bad posture sat in the studio and as i mentioned on planes and stuff or hunched over the decks you know absolutely it's easy for stuff to yeah it is it's easy for stuff to go and and that's like you know even now when in the past we were lugging massive heavy boxes of records around with us as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. No, it's, it's, so it's good to hear that you know you you've made so much progress on that, and you, you highlight so many important issues around consistency. Because like I'm the type of person that I love like classes. I love like I've got a local yoga studio here in Liverpool. That's amazing. That we've got like again a bit of a family vibe around. So you know losing yeah. that for long stretches of last year has been really difficult because you know it's kind of hard to simulate the type of yoga i'm into because i'm into hot yoga so it's like no matter how much i turn the central heating up or put the fire on in me lounge like it's just not hot enough do you know what i mean (laughs) so what do you do it in a sauna it's basically like yeah it's it's essentially a sauna yeah so um it's you know hot yoga is based on you know, the old school Bikram yoga, which is really my entry point into into the yoga world. Because um, again, the nice thing about Bikram is that it's the same sequence. So I can walk into a, like when I'm on tour or I'm traveling somewhere, I can walk into Bikram yoga in Amsterdam during ADE or I can be in Bali and I can walk into Jiwi yoga in Bali right next to the W Hotel where I normally DJ. It's exactly the same class. You know exactly what you're getting. You know exactly what you've got to do, and it's always like the temperature's exactly the same. So basically, it's like anywhere between thirty-four to thirty-seven degrees centigrade with forty percent humidity in there. Wow! And you just absolutely sweat just all your demons out. I bet you do. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. Like you come out, you come out there like like a new man, and it's it's similar to what you were saying about jujitsu. Like, because I I never really got on it that much, but you know, I used to like a drink in me in me heyday, and like going to yoga the night at like the morning after a gig or like a morning after the night out or whatever, it always made me kind of like hit the pause button a little bit because I had a couple of classes where, to be quite honest, I'd turn up at the class hungover. And you could probably like wring me towel out into a pint glass and probably serve it at like ten percent proof. Do you know what I mean? Because it was just like all the booze was just sweating out of me, like and I'm getting dirty looks off all the old women in there because it's just like, why do you stink of vodka? But um, but no, it's an amazing thing. So you know, it, it's been tough from that regard as well of like having to do yoga at home on your own and only having like online classes to kind of like 
see you through. So to be honest, I'm sat here now. The gyms are supposed to be opening here halfway through next month. And it's like, I just can't wait to get back in there because that is my daily routine. Like if that studio's open, I am there seven days a week. Yeah, well, it's clarity as well, isn't it? You know, it's not only physical fitness and strength, it's mental mental health as well. Mm. I think um, I'd come out of a class, you know, fucking dripping in sweat, but, but just so focused and um, and clear. Um, yeah, it would just make life a lot easier. You know, the cl- all clouds or any dust from the weekend just be... <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. So, are you intended on going back to jujitsu if uh, the back feels good enough and you get the all clear? I would love to. Yeah, I'd love to, but I just don't want to push it at the moment because yeah. the last thing I want to do is mess up my back again. Mm. So, we'll and see. And if there's anything we'll that's guaranteed to find a weak point, it's Brazilian yeah. jujitsu because, I like, know. I was just just before like the, the lockdowns happened, and you know. It, 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 by the time that all happened, being sat on by a big sweaty bloke who's trying to strangle you probably didn't seem like a good idea for healthcare reasons, you know what I mean? Uh, but I was going through that whole white belt first year, turning up every week, getting absolutely smashed to pieces and just learning how to survive. So yeah. I was just at that point where I was starting to kind of like, oh, I can do a little bit more than just survive here. I can start pulling a few moves and I'm starting to learn and, you know, like starting to make progress of like, okay, well, I've just made five minutes not being submitted. Like that's massive progress for me. Like, so. this, is why, this is why it's so addictive, I think, because you can see such, especially in the beginning, mm. you see such a, a steep learning curve. You know, the first two years, you learn so much and um, you see new people coming into the gym and then you start submitting them, and it's and that's like a very addictive feeling, you know, as well as being smashed by the the blue and purple belts every week as well. You still realise, oh shit, I've got a hell of a lot to learn here. Mm-hmm. No, totally. And and what I love about it is like it's just you could do you could practice jujitsu for the rest of your life and still not have learned everything, and it's a constantly evolving thing i love what joe rogan used to say about um about uh brazilian jiu-jitsu he called it was it three-dimensional chess with dire physical consequences <laughs> yeah, i've heard him say that yeah which is absolutely yeah. absolutely true and you just don't you don't know it or appreciate it until you actually get on the mat and try it you know well so i actually went into the first class not really knowing what it was mm. because um i used to do japanese jiu-jitsu as a kid Ah, my dad used to yeah my dad used to basically force me and my brother to go as kids <laughs> we were quite reluctant he's one of those dads uh, was he you learn how to defend yourself at all costs <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um in hindsight it was one of the best things ever you know mm. it, we were in great shape as teenagers but um yeah what, what obviously when i discovered partying and music i just stopped all that um but then yeah probably three, four years ago, I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it another go. Just wanted something new to do, new challenge. And so I went into this class and, and it was only on the ground. I was like, oh, all right, well, this is this has changed. <laughs> so I, I, I then learned that it was a completely different style. And 
yeah, yeah, learn a bit of the history of it then. Mm, yeah, because it was actually derived, right? It was derived from Japanese jiu-jitsu, wasn't it? Because it was some—I think it was somebody taught Japanese jiu-jitsu to one of the Gracies, right? And then that was all so, developed from there. Yeah. Yeah, he developed it for the the short Brazilian physique, I suppose. Mm. Gracies are all short, aren't they? So they just <laughs> took the best bits that worked for them, and it turned into its whole, its own thing. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, it, it's spectacularly effective as well, you know. And I've, I've got to admit, like it, it did, it did wonders for my confidence when I started it. Like, uh, you know, now a couple of years ago, but it absolutely just, you know, it really, really helped me in a massive, massive way. And again, going back to that tour in twenty eighteen in Australia, it was great bouncing. Like I was bouncing between all the jiu jitsu gyms in like Bali and Melbourne. Nice one. I got a few. I got a few roles in it um you know 12th planet yeah which is eddie bravo's gaff i got a few classes in there and i tell you what you know if you come from like a, a, a if you don't start with the the 12th planet system it's weird because it's like everything's so structured and it's like move sets that kind of chain together and it's all no right. gi as well so if you come from a background like yeah. my background is all almost all gi uh, really traditional, learning the fundamentals of, of that kind of jujitsu, and it's just it's a completely different world. Like it's just a totally different thought process on the entirety of jujitsu. Like, yeah, I've never really done any of the twelve, 12 planet stuff, but I'm pretty keen to to give it a go. Some of his uh, stoner control and all those <laughs> mad <laughs> yeah, names. rubber guard and all that, all the mad names no, he's got for stuff, mission control. Funnily enough, Eddie Bravo started following me on Instagram for some reason. <laughs> How weird. I actually saw him. Um, it was my last foreign trip uh, before all of this bullshit started. And I was in LA and I managed to get tickets to the comedy store. And it was Sick. Rogan, Bravo and uh, Joey Diaz. Oh, mate, you saw Joey Diaz. Yeah, yeah. And you know what the funny thing was? He was testing new material out, so he wasn't... He was funny, but he wasn't, like, the Joey that we all know. Because um, he, he's one of my favourites. Like, I mean, as soon as... If he's on Rogan, that's it. Everything stops. And I just have yeah. to listen to him because he's just such a legend. He's not but, um, I know, yeah, but you know a lot of people don't really rate um, Rogan's stand-up. Like, a lot right. of people prefer him in the podcast. You've got to see him in person because he absolutely blew the back doors off the comedy store this night. And he was really unbelievably funny. And it's like, oh, I don't I think you've actually got to like I've seen his specials and stuff, and I thought, eh, they're all right. But mm. to see him in person, it's a totally different thing. Like you've got to get his his aura and his like his his vibe basically like but he was he absolutely yeah. stole the show like but yeah eddie's doing stand-up now isn't he and he's not he's not bad at it like he's i've got to say it like he's not bad at all maybe was he's he performing uh, that night? Yeah. yeah he performed that night yeah he did like 15 minutes as like a warm-up act and it was it was funny mostly dick jokes but you know you got to start somewhere <laughs> haven't you, Do you know what I mean? yeah no, I'd, I'd love to be that, that night what a lineup Oh, mate, it was amazing, and I literally came, it was hilarious, like, I went, I literally got off the plane in LA, I had to go straight to the gig, so I'm literally there in the queue at the comedy store with my suitcase, like, straight from the airport, saying, like, can I put this, like, behind the desk, like, because I've just come all the way from England just to see this, which I hadn't, I was there for now, but I just totally hammed it up and got some preferential treatment and some free beers. 
Oh, you've got to, haven't you? Yeah. You've got to. You've got to. I got to. Uh, I got to visit the Comedy Cellar in New York. Oh, wicked! Ago. Yeah, they had all the uh, well, so, some of the SNL crowd there. Mm. So funny, man. Got got a lot of time for stand up comedy. Yeah, same, same. And, and again, that's what made like living in LA really cool because the comedy scene in LA at that time was just blowing up because everybody was still living in LA at that time. So you had, you know, every night you could go out and see Rogan, or you could see, you know, Jerry Diaz, or you could see like Tom Segura, or any of these amazing people. And um, there was a, a, an improv night I used to love going to called Upright Citizens Brigade. And it was complete improv, and I, uh, I just, I had a very near miss one night because I decided to take a girl on a date, to, <laughs> to, to, to this, and uh, it was hilarious because basically I didn't realise they do this thing. It was a Tuesday night, and uh, they do this thing called Facebook Tuesdays. So what they would do is randomly pick someone out the crowd, pick a seat number. Make them come on stage, log into their Facebook account, and it was on a big projector, and they would then do half an hour of completely ad-libbed, completely made-up-on-the-spot comedy, improv comedy, based on what they're talking about and what they're into on Facebook. No! Oh, God, and it was like, you know, you sat there, and you're like, oh, God, please let it not be me. Did you get away with it? I've got away with it, yeah, but it was one of those where it was like the person who got picked was within two rows, so it was like it had a bit of a sweat on for the minute, like. Bloody hell! Crazy. I went to the um, the Adelaide Fringe a few years ago as well. Oh, that yeah. was pretty cool. Uh, uh, yeah, the Adelaide one's the second biggest in the world after the Edinburgh one. Oh really? I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. I went to see it. I went to see this show called Glittery Clittery. <laughs> I can only imagine. I can yeah. only imagine the scene. Yeah, leave that one to the imagination. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. That that sounds like a whole podcast episode on its own, to be honest. That one. Hysterical. Hysterical. So no, man, it, it's it's been great to talk to you, mate. And, you know, it's it's great to see you doing so well over there and you know just it's really interesting because like I'm, I'm now thinking about like relocating myself you know when the time is right and you know to be honest like one of my favorite cities in the world is melbourne like i just adore yeah. melbourne i felt so at home there like uh, you know that's that's also a big benefit of, of being here and mm-hmm. and what makes me think that it could work me being here more permanently is australia is so close and Melbourne is such a, a great city for music and I imagine comedy as well. Mm-hmm. It's just a very place. creative place, isn't it? You know. No, it really is. Like, I mean, I don't know whether you've ever had this, but you know, you probably obviously get that because you've you've you know, spent so much time over the years in New Zealand and you grew up there. But the first time I set I even set foot on the ground in Melbourne, it was like I had this weird feeling of like, have I like been here before? Because I just mm. feel so at home there. I can't even get my head around it. And, very you know, European. It's very European. Like, the way I explained it was, it's like all the best bits of all your favourite cities in one place. Because there's bits of it. Great way to describe it. Yeah, there's bits of it that remind me of, like, the, you know, the the alleys in Amsterdam with, like, great coffee. And there's bits that really remind me of, like, you know, the best bits of East London, like the sort of the more sort of hipster areas, like Fitzroy and stuff like that. And then, yeah. you know, you've got, like, bits that just feel like L.A. And it's just, it's weird. Beach, yeah. And you've got the beach and, you know, the weather's, like, not... I, I, I was there in, like, September, so it wasn't, like, too hot. But it was quite changeable and 
almost quite European, yeah. the climate, like, you know, apart from in the summer, which obviously gets really hot. But, you know, I love that saying they've got in Melbourne. They say, like, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. And it's totally, <laughs> totally true because it just it flips on a hate. And that, that, I think, after being in Bali for two weeks and, like, just got used to the, you know, the humidity and the intensity of the heat there, it was actually really nice to sort of, again, like that word, like decompress in Melbourne. So, yeah, it feels like a place I, I wouldn't mind moving to. So actually talking to you, like I've been worried about like it being too far away. And actually, like what you're saying and how you're approaching it is giving me reason to think that it is actually something that's doable. I think I think it is, you know. It's, it's definitely going to be a completely different way of approaching things because... It is a long way, you know. Mm. But um, there's there is a big scene over here. Well, especially in Australia, you know. I don't know if you you know Thickest Thieves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Mike Toner and the crew, Thickest Thieves, they do some amazing stuff. You know, they're like yeah. the, the I like to call it like the Irish house music mafia. Oh God, yeah, yeah. The uh, Revolution up was it? No, sorry, Revolver upstairs. That absolute get out of amazing club like. Yeah, and it's it's great to see Revolver rocking again now as well because Australia is in a good way at the moment. So mm. Mike's been doing a few gigs himself. He's back DJing, <clears throat> getting in, getting in the in the inside the cage at Revolver. <laughs> that that place gets loose. Oh, very very loose, very <laughs> loose. Like yeah, I killed a few brain cells in there myself when I was over there. To be honest. Yeah. Mm. Oh, mate, it'd be ace if you considered moving over to Melbourne. Yeah, totally, because, like, I mean, I played some great gigs there. Like, I played in Brisbane, which was wicked, uh, and I played, um, you know, Sash in Sydney. Yes, yeah. Oh, my God, what a party that is. That is just I've not been to it, but, uh, yeah, I've heard really good things. Yeah, like, that that whole, where they do those gigs at the rooftop of the Greenwood Hotel in, like, North Sydney yeah. is just amazing. Because, uh, I, I mean, so I, I, have, I have played at the Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think it was Sash. Mm. Yeah, because they do Sundays there normally, like under normal times. Like, yeah, and it yeah. was it was an amazing gig because it was like, you know, I played sort of like late afternoon into the evening. It was like you know one of those sets where it goes from like light to dark, and you can Sick. feel the. the I, I love those transitional sets, like because. Uh, oh, me too. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I love playing any time. Like, I, I honestly like. I've got you know very little kind of ego about these types of things like if you want me to go on first i'll go on first i'm not asked like i actually really enjoy warming up you know what i mean i actually think it's a really you know it's a big lost art these days yeah like, well and... i think for people like me and you we've got quite broad music tastes mm. so we've got music to suit any time of day or night mm. and um one of the one of the I hesitate to use this word downside of being like a, a headline DJ is that you don't get to play that kind of music very often. Mm. So when you do get to warm up or do those sunset kind of sets, they're always quite special, you know? Mm. Mm. No, absolutely. And this one definitely was, and you know, the sound over there really suits like what I'm all about and stuff as well. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it's serious consideration. Like, cause you know, as much as I love the UK, it's like, I don't know, in future, I don't think it's going to be where I predominantly call myself home. And I feel like I've kind of done the LA thing now. Like, I feel like I've yeah. kind of got that out of my system. And, you know, as we were saying, just off air, it's like LA's turned into, unfortunately, quite a tough place to live over the last year. So, you know, it's probably not yeah. too attractive for creative people at the moment because it's 
quite an expensive place to live. I think we're in similar positions because I was ready to leave the UK at the end of 2019, was start of 2020. I was my house was pretty much packed up and I was ready to move to Spain, either Barcelona or Ibiza. Um, and then obviously that got postponed. And now my uh, yeah thoughts are shifting. I'm trying to yeah form a, a plan. <laughs> No, good mate. I mean, again, it's it's great that you just decided to to take that opportunity. Like as as I said right at the beginning, I don't think anyone would blame you or anyone would make a different choice to the one that you made. Um, you know, and and it, it it's it's important. Like so, I think the last year. I mean, I, I can only imagine because it was frustrating for me because like I was actually thinking about giving LA another go last year before the pandemic because I'd been over there as I mentioned. Like you know. Obviously, you know, you're coming back to England off a high, having seen, like, Joe Rogan do stand-up and Joey Diaz in the flesh. And uh, I had a great week over there because I went to the NAM conference um, and did a load of work over there for um, D&B Audio, which is a company that I work with quite closely for sound systems. Um, so I was considering, like, giving it another shot because there was plenty of work coming with D&B. Obviously, I've worked quite closely with a lot of the film music composers over there. And then the world kind of just sits on its head and it's like, no, you have to stay in Liverpool now for the next year. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's so yeah. like, I can't, like one of the things I'm, re- I didn't expect this. One of the things I'm really struggling with is like getting my head around the fact that not only have I not now left the country for the, for a year, which is just unheard of in my adult life. Um, I'm about to spend my second straight birthday in lockdown. Oh, mate. So uh, I, so obviously, like the twenty third is when it all kicked off. I turned forty on the 29th of March last year. So basically, by the time this all is over, I'll have spent my fortieth and my forty first birthday in lockdown. Oh, mate. Well, we've got to make up for it <laughs> once well, it's all over. Oh, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. I think you'll be you'll be seeing <laughs> you'll be seeing me before you know before I see you, if you know what I mean. And. Uh, as I said, I don't think those birthdays count, so technically I still think I'm fucking 39, to be honest. I think so. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got the looks to pull it off, so why not? Do you know what I mean? May as well blow my own trumpet. No one's going to blow it for me. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely thinking about moving in that sort of direction. And, you know, and again, like, just a thought that I've just had pop up is I, what I love about you is that you're the type of person that just... You, you, we're very similar in a lot of ways, actually, because... I like to just randomly turn up in places. Like, and yeah, people yeah. are always surprised. Like, what are you doing here? And it's like, well, exactly. Do you know what I mean? And <laughs> I yeah. yeah, I love that. Like, I, 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 yeah. yeah, exactly. I always said that. Like, my superpower is that on any given moment, like, until the last year, obviously, under normal circumstances, nobody's got a fucking clue where I am. <laughs> so if I just randomly turn up, like your first reaction tells me everything about where we're at as a friendship. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, it's you. All oh, right, fine. I know where to stand now. Nice one. But um, but you know, even like you know, with you, you sort of musically as well. Like I remember you, you randomly turning up in a photograph with another, another, one, another couple of my really good friends, uh, Darren Emerson and Charlie May. Yeah, yeah, you know Charlie. I know Charlie very well, obviously from Charlie. the Sash days. Sash yeah. Sort of age, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Me and Darren have been mates for years, like, so. Men, yeah, so um, it was actually Neil, Neil Evans who hooked us up. Oh, I have um, I have a side project called Norwood, mm-hmm. which at the, moment, at the moment I've only done one release, 
did a release on R&S Records quite a few years ago. Um, and Neil had the idea of me going down to Charlie's studio. Um, and I'm sure you know he's he's got this studio in a barn mm-hmm. in the middle of fucking nowhere near Somerset, I think. So um, I went and stayed with him for a few days. Darren came down from London for a couple of days as well. Um, we both stayed over. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, just, just threw ideas around in the studio. It was great, man. Really different as well, like really outside the box. Yeah. Yeah, amazing stuff. Yeah, I, I would I would love to hear that stuff if, if it ever sort of sees the light of day. Like. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you some links. I would, I would absolutely love that because I've been picking Charlie's brains recently because I've managed to pick up a virus. The only virus I wanted during this pandemic was an access virus. Oh, so, yeah, yes. Yeah. How's it going? Oh, enjoying mate, it? Oh, mate, it's brutal. It's just an absolute monster. It really is. Because now, like, as I was saying to you on Instagram, I've got six analog outs going into my interface now. Because, um, yeah. like, the, the, the plug-in, the plug-in that it came with was never ever really that good because i've been working with them for years whether it was like sashes or you know other people who knew who had them um the the plug-in never really worked correctly and it always caused more problems than it solved really so i was intent on running it as a just a standalone synth basically and i was just gonna trigger midi and that kind of thing i bought like you know the midi cables for it and everything to just run it as an external synth and then someone, uh, Damien, uh, Damien Saint, who runs the uh, bookings for W Hotel in Bali, who okay. I play for over there quite a bit, um, he basically sent me in the way of this uh, this Finnish company called Mystery Islands Music. And what they do is they make these, like, they, they made the, the plug-in for the virus that they should have made all along. Amazing. And it works as, like, a librarian, so you can, like, load your presets up and you can do all your automation and everything else, but you can still, like, spit the six mono out or your three stereo pairs out. So, you know, the majority of the last week or so was, like, setting it up and getting all the presets loaded and, you know, I've got all Charlie's presets in there and all the stuff off, like, Sasha and Volver and, you know, there was a, there was a pack going around that... Uh, Depeche Mode used on tour a few years back and stuff. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, there was tons of it. So I was like, get it all on there. Absolutely, just load the thing up. And I'm just getting some ungodly sounds out of it. And obviously, because it's like it's doing everything out of the box, like it's had a massively beneficial effect on my CPU as well, because I'm just pretty much getting everything out of here. And, you know, th- as I was Zero saying... Soft, soft yeah, basically, yeah, like, all just through here, because, like, it's so unbelievably versatile. Like, I mean, this thing came out in, like, 2008, 2009, yeah. and it was doing, like, wavetable stuff before, like, Massive had ever even been thought of, really, or, you know, any of those sort of sitting or, like, wavetable since. You know, it can do granular, it can do FM, it can do subtractive, wow. it can do virtual analog. I mean, and it can even, like, you can do this thing with, uh, you can root audio into it and do the whole stutter edit thing with, like, this thing called the Atomizer. And it's okay. just it's just so, so versatile. And, you know, if you really, it's one of those things, like, the deeper you, it's a bit like jujitsu in a way. It's like, you know, the deeper you go into it, the more you want to learn and the more down the rabbit yeah, hole you fun. go. 
and yeah, and and it's nice because like the mystery islands thing, it makes like because obviously a lot of these things are very menu driven, so you, you you have to really learn where things are in the menus. Whereas the mystery yeah. islands plugin just makes it all available on like the front thing, and it's completely hooked up perfectly. So I turn a knob on here, I turn a filter cut off, it instantly works on the plugin and completely Man. reflects what's going on. So. You know, I managed to get one for I managed to get one for a grand, which is just an cool. absolute steal of a price because they normally go brand new, like over two grand now or around two grand. And as luck would have it, it was like the best eBay experience of my life because sat there with my finger over it, going, "Do I buy it? Do I not? Do I buy it? Do I not?" And it gets to the last thirty seconds, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, fuck it." Bought the thing. Yeah. Turns out the guy only lived like an hour away. So Perfect. we met her. I you literally I won the thing at like four o'clock. I had it in my hands by six PM. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, fuck it. How long I'll... Have you had it now? Say four weeks or something. Yeah, a couple of weeks. Yeah, about two, three weeks now, yeah. And it's just it's bedded in. I mean, I'm lucky because like I know them really well from as I say, working with Sasha and you know, working with a load of other people on them and spending quite a lot of time on it. So it was just like uh it's like riding a bike, mate, you know what I mean? Just get back on the horse, so to speak. The main the main part of the last couple of weeks has just been getting it set up and getting it all cabled in and getting it right and stuff. And, you know, I'm like, I've got a notebook now because, like, you know, it's the funny. Like, the way Charlie names his presets, they're just, like, dot, dash, forward, slash, bracket. It's like, yeah. how do you keep <laughs> track of any of this stuff? So I've actually had to, like, have to, like, write the numbers down of, like, which ones are like. The good, one. yeah. the good ones. And, like, try and save them into a different bank. And uh, it's dead funny, like... But it's funny, like, loads of people have still got them. Like, I was talking to Sebastian Ledger about them the other night because he was saying, like, he was having a bit of a problem with his with his Mystery Islands plugin, like, which we didn't get to the end of because, like, there's, like, RAM banks and then there's, like, 26 ROM banks that are full of presets as well. So it's just, like, it's absolutely, it's endless. So packed sounds. Just packed. So, like, you know, you could buy this. It's like, you know, if you think about it, it can actually do 16 individual sounds multi-timbral at once if it wants to so it's basically like imagine like a hardware version of omnisphere yeah that's basically what it well, is. yeah so you can root bass out of one mono out you can root white noise percussion or something and then you can have two stereo outs for your lead mm-hmm. mad yeah. yeah you can configure it whichever way you want like it's it's absolutely brilliant it's really really quite quite ingenious and even like the onboard effects like the delay and the reverb just sound phenomenal the distortion's unbelievable on it like you were saying like you know oh yeah you know run that through some like you know outboard process and it's like a lot of the time you don't need it it's just so on point and so clear the main thing i'm having a field day with at the moment is bass with it the bases on this thing are just disgusting (laughs) <laughs> I bet and for me what instantly springs to mind is like the trancy mid bass sounds as well those yeah. real rhythmic plucky um, kind of sounds yeah sequ- yeah plucky sequences oh yeah absolutely it does that it does that a charm and then you know you add a little bit of like sort of granular to that as well or you know the, like the the actual um the effect the onboard effect I love most on this is like the phaser because you put that phaser on, like, any sort of ARP or anything, it just turns into, like, instant Charlie May, basically. Class. It's got that really kind of, like, you know, textured thing that he does so well where, like, there's still records I still listen to of his 
you know, re- you know, um, remixes. And I sit there and I think, how the fuck have you done that? Mm. Like he's one of those ones. He makes me feel. He makes me feel like I want to retire. He's that good. Do you know what I mean? I learned a lot from spending that week with Charlie. Mm, I bet. You know, just his, even his his um, his workflow. Mm. He will spend like five or ten minutes at a time in there, and then he'll he'll walk away and go and do something else, and then he'll like refresh his ears, mm. and then he'll come back to it, go back to the studio, do another twenty minutes or something. And then he's off again. Like quick, short <laughs> yeah. bursts. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, yeah, I, yeah. I, I can see the benefit in that because, like, we've been advising people, like, you know, because I'm really into, like, neuroscience and, like, flow states and stuff as well. And, you know, we're, we're actually teaching that on NYT at the minute is, like, how do you get into a flow state? And one of the things that we've been talking about based on books like Steel and Fire, um, The Rise of Superman, um, Flow, by Mihai Chicks and Mihai, which is like the book. That's where the the term the flow state comes from. Right. Like they was like all of the research states that the maximum amount of time that you can spend in a in a, in a peak flow state is ninety minutes. Really, and, you know, I've got like people saying like, you know, I've just spent six hours on this one respace, and it's like, I bet you after ninety minutes, like you probably you were just wasting your time basically you may as well have just walked away basically so it's interesting to hear charlie sort of working in those sort of quick little bursts i think that's really really productive yeah it it definitely it's helped me a lot because i start doing that more now as well um because i was probably guilty of doing that as well especially when i had the studio unit when I was paying rent for a separate studio and i was thinking right i need to make the most of this Mm -hmm. i need to make it count and spend all day in there. There was no windows either. So it'd be in a dark room oh, all afternoon, even if it's summer outside. And I'm like, you're going to make a tune. You're going to make a <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's a place for that, you know, at, at, at some stage of a career. But like, you know, when, yeah. when, when, when you gain a level of like, you know, quote unquote mastery over the process, it's like, it's not really necessary. Like if you know the nuts and it bolts of what you're going for, it's like, you can be, you can work smarter rather than harder. Oh, totally, totally. I think you can be much more effective with your time and your creativity by taking breaks and almost forgetting about what you've just made. Mm. Mm. Resetting your ears. Yeah, and I like to, I like to work on like specific, like categories, if you will, as well. Like this is the big thing that we talk about as well is we try and separate the processes out as much as possible. So what we find yeah. is that a lot of people, like, they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves to make bangers all day, every day. But the problem is, is that they're not really giving enough attention or allowing themselves to basically play and to, like, fuck around and just, like, you know, I always say, like, it's, like, have a competition with yourself to make the weirdest noise yeah. and create that, like, sandbox that you can play in safely where, you know, you're in a completely different session, you're, you're in a blank Ableton session or Logic session or whatever, and for the next two hours, you're just going to sit there and make bass sounds or kicks or arps or leads or whatever it is that you want that then go into and they form the inspiration for the next set of tracks, basically, that end up using those sounds. Such a good way of working. You know, and um, also another thing I've found over the years is it's very easy to get attached to ideas. Mm -hmm. And even if the idea isn't working, I would, 
you know, like I said, then I would try and force it to work and I'd be so attached to this. I'm like, I know there's an idea in there and you know, it's, it's going to work. And sometimes you've just got to disconnect from that and um, put it in a folder, forget about it, mm. come back to it in six months, start something new. And what's really helped me is I've got the Ableton Push recently. Amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. I put it off for so long because I just thought, you know, I know Ableton inside out. <laughs> and I thought I, it works, you know. It, I'm kind of of the mind if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I was thinking, you know, I'm doing all right without push, but since I've got it, mate, I, I can't believe I didn't do it before because mm-hmm. I'm now spending 20, 30 minutes at a time just building ideas strictly from push, not touching the laptop. Amazing, you know, trying trying to get to know the instrument. Mm-hmm. And it's made the writing process a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. And, and I found because I'm making more ideas fast, I'm not getting as attached. And so if one isn't working, I can just, you know, sack it off, mm-hmm. start a new one. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a lot of the, the psychology of like how you physically interact with the music itself. You know, I, I had that sensation. I've had a push for a long time now, about maybe five or six years. I had a push one. And then upgraded to a push two. Yeah. And just honestly, I, I personally think this is the single best controller that has ever been made in this generation. Because it is just it's so complete. And the way Ableton have done it, the way they've made it so open ended so they can actually like improve on it with like say Ableton eleven or a point update yeah. of Ableton, it unlocks new features now, like the polyphonic aftertouch on live eleven and stuff. It's, it's right. made it more like, and it completely changed the way I arrange tracks because like I'll now, for the last few years, I'll arrange the tracks completely in the session view. Okay. So I'll do the skeleton of the track, like, you know, 32 bars of this, eight bars of that, 16 bars of this, whatever. Yeah. And, and then you'll punch through the different sections on the push. Yeah, and I'll record it into the arrangement view straight yeah. from the push and i might do a little bit of automation on there as well just to get a vibe and then once that's in there i'm in the arrangement i can then do like long automation passes i can do like global edits because normally when i lay things out in the push like that in the session view normally comes out a lot longer than it needs to which i'm quite happy mm. with in a way because it means that i'm yeah. getting all of my ideas out and i can then be selective and trim and edit and you know crop the bits out that i don't like or where Definitely. it's getting a bit boring, that kind of thing. But like rather have to too little. Oh yeah, exactly. You know, rather than like you know having to build it up in the arrangement view. And don't get me wrong, like the certain styles of tracks that were. I mean, I still use both approaches. It just depends on the type of track that I'm making. If it's a more sort of dance floor oriented track, I'll probably go for the more session view structured looped based thing. And then, yeah. um, if you know, if it's more sort of you know sort of loosely structured and a bit more free form, then I'll go the more old school arrangement view way. Um, but the way that I've got my setup now, because I've got the virus right here, I've got the push here, um, I've got a couple of the rolly bits, I've got like the seaboard and the light pad here. Um, I've got a Novation Lodge Pad Mini, which I got for Logic, because I still use Logic quite a bit. And obviously this fella here, the complete control, like, oh, yeah. I now find that, because I've got the, the sort of the 180 here, I'm not even sitting in my chair when I make music anymore. 
Like I'm stuck up the way. most of the time and I'm getting a vibe and it's almost yeah. everything feels like it's starting to feel like live jams. So much, so important that I think that's the way I want my next studio to be is have racks of stuff mm. rather than the desk be the central uh, central part of the studio. And yeah. yeah, I got this from Melee actually. I don't know if you've been in Melee's studio. I haven't, man. But he's, um, his is very much like that, you know. He's got a small desk, but rarely sits in it. He's always on the on his keyboards, or you know, it, it, the whole room is surrounded by gear. Mm. So you're just mooching around the room and dancing, and like you you get into it more. I feel like you can, um, if you're making yourself dance, you're doing something right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I always remember <laughs> Paul Wolf had said that in an RA interview. He said basically like everything's got to go through the chair test. Like if it doesn't get me out the chair and get me dancing, it's shit. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's so true. true. It's so so true. Like, and you know, we get like sort of so sucked in, don't we, with the keyboard and mouse, and like that's where the majority of the attention comes from. So yeah, it's, it's funny. I and mean, we've just like we had another. We've had, and again, it shows you where things are changing within the scene as well. Like, because obviously, a lot more artists are playing live on stage as well as just DJing. Yeah. So you know, we've we've got an amazing like young Dutch producer. He's like basically like imagine like a twenty four year old Dutch version of Stefan Bodzen. Like he's just <laughs> he's insane. Like he built his own controller from scratch. Um, basically, <laughs> he t- he tore apart two. Akai MPC 40s and an Akai keyboard, mounted them in his own box, made it all work together, and got it communicating with Ableton with like Arduino wow. and Max for Live and all this stuff. Like, he's just, he's one of those, like, he's just a complete geek in, in, in the best That's possible way. And he's like, he, he basically performs the whole thing on stage, never has to look at his computer. It's all on this one thing, and it's an incredibly engaging visual. So, mm. like, he's literally just done a course for us, which is, like, here's how I make a track, and then this is how I format it so I can then go out and play it live. Oh, mate, I'd be quite keen to see that. Mm. It's an amazing thing, like, in what he's done. He's, he's an incredible I've always cult. Quite, always been quite intrigued how people do that, because mm. I bought the, um, it was the APC-40. Mm. Yeah, I did buy one of them quite a few years ago with the faders on and that, mm. with the intention to build a live set. Mm. But it just got so complicated, you know. I just, it just gave up in the end. There were so many different ways and possibilities of doing it. Into like, do you bounce all the loops and master the loops individually, or mm. do you, do you work from the original project with all the automation in it? I don't know. I don't know. I just thought, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's mad. It's like like you say. There's so many different ways to approach it. So many ways to kind of like square the circle, so to speak. But like Holt. The ne- his name is Jeff, the the artist I'm talking about. He's just done the course for us. Like it's he it, it does basically like reformat things into the session view, and it gives him ultimate flexibility. So he's kind of like it even allows him the flexibility to even play other people's records if he wants to. So it's kind of like this weird hybrid of like a DJ set turning into something else. Which you know, in my opinion, I think in the next five or ten years, that's kind of what DJing is going to look like. It's going to look like this weird halfway house between people playing their own music integrating bits of other people's music and it's all going to kind of meet in the middle mm, yeah i think you could be right the yeah. richie horton way of doing it you know oh. with all the loops and 
dude, dude. I uh, I <laughs> saw him do, uh, you know, his closer show. Yeah, is that the one where he had the box? No, that was uh, when he did Plastic Man and he had the cage round him. You're right. Um, but no, it clo- closer was like he'd have all like loads of GoPros set up, like over okay. his synths, and then you get like real close ups of him, like actually, you know, you could actually see very clearly what he was doing. Uh, but he played the Roundhouse in London, and basically, like these sets, like are one of a kind because he basically he just goes on stage and jams. Just jams, yeah. So like, no two sets are alike, and it absolutely blew my mind what he did in just 90 minutes at the roundhouse he absolutely tore the arse out of it and <laughs> just venue it, for it as well oh mate belting venue for it absolutely amazing absolutely phenomenal like so you know and there's a lot coming as well like in terms of like a lot of the work that i'm doing for dnb is more in terms of like surround sound and how we can really integrate surround sound into the club environment which we've actually oh. been really like successful at which is I seem to seem to remember that I could be wrong with this but I think Bookham did something to do with 3D sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of artists <laughs> yeah. have tried it like and there's there's lots of there's a lot of thought in the in the space now. So there's a lot like obviously there's Dolby uh L Acoustics yeah. do a really great uh, uh sound system called Lisa uh, we at DMB, we've got our version Soundscape, which is what Bjork and Kraftwerk used on tour for their Kraftwerk 3D shows. Um, so there's a whole revolution coming once things open up around that as well, um, where we've managed to get the controls down to like really nice and simple ways of working with a system where it basically it can all be controlled from like one iPad and a regular DJ mixer. So the DJ will control where the sound is directing from. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's metal. Yeah, yeah. That that's kind of what I was brought in to kind of figure out um, from the artist perspective, like, and even like we've now got a point to a point where we can even get monitor mixes in headphones that are surround, like headphone surround mixes, which are like a representation of what's going on out in the club, basically. So you can. Right, so you're monitoring it on stage in 3D. Mm-hmm. So you know exactly where you're panning stuff and you know exactly where things yeah, are. Yeah. You know, you can even, like, if you design your own um, controllers using stuff like the, the Lemure app, um, you can even have, like, elements, like, bounce around the room and have, like, their own physics and stuff. And they kind of, you'd have, like, you know, a, a sound just like ping ponging around the room on its own and just figuring its own way around the space and stuff like it's that's so cool yeah it's gonna make things really really quite immersive and really quite uh interesting it's gonna it's gonna lead to a big change in thought process because i've i've played a couple of gigs on them now on on this system now and one of the things that you realize you have to shift into you realize you have to think about playing the room as an instrument rather than just playing the records because you've got to play with like mono and stereo to make things more immersive so you know you can start with the track just playing it in straight mono and especially for like you know prog heads with the big breakdowns or trance heads with the big breakdowns and stuff you can then slowly make it envelop the entire room 
for the build, and then at the drop you can suck it all the way back into just mono again. Oh, that sounds amazing! It's so it's it's like once you start down that road, it's like regular DJ. I remember I, I, I played that I played this gig in LA to open the DMB, um, the DMB uh, studio that they've just opened up the big depot in in Long Beach. I played their opening, and then I played. I think it was. It was. I think I played ADE, or I played a gig straight afterwards, like on a regular sound system. I was like, "Oh, this is a bit boring now. I've, <laughs> I've ruined regular DJing for myself because I can't do. I can't do any of my new party tricks, like you know." So, is it? Are you just playing your your tracks as mm-hmm. you would on a normal set or a normal setup, and mm-hmm. it's splitting the frequencies? Well, that's so you're not playing one way of doing it. Stems or anything? No, you can play stems absolutely. Um, you can do the frequency thing, but it never sounds that good, right. unless you're using like really like. I mean, I think the algorithms are going to come for that. That are going to be you know really on so point. Like the highs, for example. Yeah, exactly. And there's been systems that have tried that in the past, and you know when you recombine everything, there's always like phase differences, and you've got to be careful around like where you put stuff. Because again, like timing specific stuff, you can't really move it that much because because of the the timing differences between the front and the back of the room. It, the the image True. tends to fall apart a bit, which is what we found actually. Like we started off uh, in a really small demo space at DMB's UK um, UK offices, and because you're in a small space, you can just go fucking wild and pan stuff and have stuff flipping around the place. And then they took us to their actual global headquarters in Stuttgart. And they've got it's a... It's like a warehouse or something. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's called Hall 17. Like, if you if it was a club, you could probably fit, like, a 1,000 people in there. Decent. And, like, I, I called up the mix that I'd done on one of my tracks, which was released on Bedrock, and it just sounded like the fucking Grand National. <laughs> because you've got to account for the the space and the timing within that particular room, if you know what I mean. The delays of the, of the room, the acoustics in the room. Yeah, totally. So, like, you know, we figured out, like, actually, mostly playing just regular stereo tracks and then having either specific stems or effects that we can have in surround or, like, there's, a, there's an upmix plugin that we can use um, that can literally take stuff and, and you can send to it and it'll up, mix it up into surround in real time. Right. So you can do the really big immersive stuff in that context, but the foundation is still solid. It's still like a, for all intents and purposes, it's like a regular DJ set with loads yeah. of really interesting, like immersive extras, which you can do really interesting things with. But as I say, like the 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 the, the fundamental foundation is very very solid. So still a stereo track yeah and 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 again the great thing about the system is like you can throw anything at it you can throw mono at it you can throw stereo you can throw surround files 5.1 7.1 even 10.2 it'll handle it and um on top of that you know you can even um like i say you know you can it's format agnostic as well so you could rock up and play on ableton with it you play a live set on it you could play on CDJs, you know. Yeah. Uh, you could play vinyl through it, and it like the system, the process, it'll just take it up and go. Oh yeah, well that's just an object, and we can just start working with it 
around this field of speakers. It's incredible. I'm it's, so intrigued to hear this. Dude, it's it's phenomenal. And again, one of the most annoying parts of it was we were negotiating on getting the first clubs. And we still are negotiating on getting the first clubs systems installed with this because, again, the great thing about Soundscape is it can literally be just a regular sound system if you want it to be. If you want it to just be a mono system, it's really good at that. If you want it to be an mm. all singing, all dancing, like surround sound system that can just handle everything, like it, it can do that as well. In fact, like a soundscape system was the, is is the new sound system in the Royal Albert Hall because they handle nice. everything, as you know, from like you know last night of the proms to like fucking cage fighting. So they need yeah. and like you know Dixon plays live in there every now and <laughs> then. Do you know what I mean? And Pete Tong and all this stuff. So. It has, like, so many different use cases, and this one system can kind of handle it all. So we were negotiating on getting the first clubs installed, and I literally figured out how to get the whole thing working through an Allen and Heath Zone 96. And then the lockdown happened, and it was like, oh. So I I haven't obviously been on a soundscape system for, like, a year now, and it's really frustrating really frustrating because like that's that project is like as you can imagine like you know for for people like us like that's a project of a lifetime like because that could represent like a really big change in how we do things and to be a part of that career defining project it really could be you know considering i'm going to be like one of if not the first one of the first artists to play like this do you know what i mean which is you know why i've got the virus now and i'm kind of like I'm transitioning towards being more of like a live artist myself because, you know, personally, like going back to touring and stuff and everything else, it's like I, I want to do a very specific type of tour and I want to do more like live shows in like yeah. venues rather than, don't get me wrong, I'll still DJ, but, you know, I want to straddle the world of like film and TV as well as like electronic mm-hmm. music and sit in the middle of all that. Because I've had amazing experiences working with, you know, film composers like Jeff Rona, Junkie XL, that kind of thing. And, you know, that's very yeah, much where I... Yeah, shows Sorry. tend to lean towards that, that world a little bit better, don't they? Yeah, totally. So, like, I'm, I'm way more sort of down the hole of, like, you know, a Max Cooper or... Uh, John Hopkins or something like that. Yeah, I played a yeah. wicked gig with him about five years ago. He played a hometown gig in Belfast, and I opened for him. And Decent. honestly, I, I played a DJ set, like, and it was hilarious. I turned up with my little headphones and my little USB stick, and I'm there, and I'm doing my thing, and then Max rocks up with two laptops, controllers all over the place, and he's controlling the visuals and the music at the same time. It's like, I need, wow. to, I need to want my game here. Like, I need to start stepping <laughs> up a bit, you know? So that was, like, a big pivotal night seeing him play live because it was just, like, shit. Like, there's some really wild stuff that's really possible now you know and he did a load of those shows on that tour in surround as well like he's been working with 4d sound quite a lot uh just going back to the visuals and music mm. uh i went into denon's office the other day they've got an office in auckland ah. i don't know if you've heard about their software their equivalent to record box you have yeah i've heard of it. Can... i've not seen it yet yeah so apparently you can program the lights for certain venues um before you've been to the gig so say like say you're playing a club that doesn't have a lighting engineer but you've got a few tracks that you know are going to go off Mm. and you want the lights to complement that 
you can set cue points for moving heads and strobes and possibly smoke machines as well wow. to trigger on on certain points of the tracks. That's mental. That's really mental. Oh, that's pretty cool technology, isn't it? It's actually something. It's it's very similar to what Richie was doing with the Plastic Man thing when he had the cage, because he was controlling mm. the visuals on the actual like video screen of the cage itself, like while he was playing. And uh, we, I actually did like some mentoring work with him way back when he was doing this, like sort of 2010, 2011. And his Ableton session was just unbelievable. It was like 300 tracks, but it was converting like OSC to MIDI and then DMX for the lighting control and stuff. And it was a whole sort of new world at that stage. And like going back to, to Jeff Holt, who's just on the course for us, the next version of his controller that he's building at the moment, or he's designed at the moment, is going to do a lot of what you're just saying, like controlling like smoke machines and lights and stuff like from the main sort of central console. So we're entering into an age where the artist is just going to have almost complete control over the experience, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, it's going to be um, interesting to see what the next five to ten years brings, isn't it? I mean, the rate Definitely. of technology. Definitely. I'm a bit of a technophobe, believe it or not. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you do a good job of hiding it, mate. So, so part, yeah, part of all this, um, I, f I find it quite difficult to like make the leap. Mm-hmm. You know, like I mentioned before, if it ain't broke, my, like the way my studio is, it's pretty old school the mm -hmm. setup, but I know how it all works. Yeah, that's uh, the main um, thing, mate. That's the main thing. You've got to know what your tools are. It doesn't matter what tools are in the toolbox as long as they're the right ones for you. That's it. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just very, very exciting to hear about all these uh, these new things, but part of it's like, for me, it's like, whoa, I'm not sure if I want to be controlling the lights personally. <laughs> You know I mean? yeah, it's why we have lighting engineers who are professionals at this type of things you know I don't want to be giving yeah. people epilepsy through like accidentally knocking the strobe off for 10 minutes straight you know what I mean <laughs> exactly mate exactly well mate this has been an absolute pleasure it really has it's been great to catch up with you because like you know normally when we see each other it's normally like passing ships in the night right it's like you're normally like in the last time I saw you it was like you know I was getting off a train in London as you were just getting on one and Possibly, it was, yeah. I thought it was IMS the last time I saw you. I think so. We were so. both in meetings. Yeah, that not well. That, again, like well, that's just typical IMS that, as well. Like you don't even remember the people you kind of sort of skate past. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. crazy, but it's been great to kind of like you know spend some proper like quality time talking to you and you know you too. Yeah, getting really enjoyed it. Yeah, amazing, mate. And you know you're welcome back anytime. And you know good luck with everything in New Zealand. Good luck with one for the nerds. As I say, I think it's amazing what you're Cheers. doing and joining Simon stuff and and the team and that there. It's amazing. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing what you get up to in future, mate. So yeah, thanks very much yeah. for doing this. Well, mate. I'll be heading back. I'll probably be heading back to the UK around the end of the year. So okay. I'll have to go for a something absolutely mate if i'm still there if i'm not in melbourne by that time you never know but... <laughs> if not i'll see you in melbourne indeed mate indeed pints wherever happens mate so all good take it Have easy mate day. and you mate see ya. 
So there you have it. There's my conversation with Josh Butler. And it was a fantastic couple of hours getting to know Josh a little bit better and putting the world to rights. You always feel better at the end of those conversations, don't you? Fantastic to hear Josh in such fine form and great to meet someone who is so storied and has such a great career already in the music industry, yet he's remained so grounded and so positive and so kind of normal in a way. So a very inspiring thing for all of us. So that will do it for today's episode of Beyond the Studio. We've got so much coming up. We've got great episodes I've got in the can that are coming in the next few weeks. So if you are listening to us for the first time, please do consider subscribing on iTunes, podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and also subscribe on our YouTube channel. We are heading towards 6,500 subscribers at the time of recording this. And we're really excited to try and hit our target of 10,000 subscribers if we can. So yeah, give us a look on there because all these podcasts, the video versions of them are also available over there if you prefer to watch them rather than listen to them. So I shall see you guys next week. Stay safe, stay in the pocket, stay sound, look after each other and I shall see you then. Take it easy. Much love.